right, this is Gary Parrish again from CBSSports.com. It's now Monday, February 23rd, and this is the Ion College Basketball Podcast. I'm joined, uh, as usual on this Monday, by my buddies Matt Norlander and Sam Bassini. I suppose we should start with the big news from Sunday, specifically uh, that Chris Jones has been dismissed from the Louisville basketball team, seemingly for good this time. So the timeline, uh, if you've gotten confused, and I understand how you could easily get confused, the timeline works like this. Last Tuesday... He was suspended indefinitely. Then on Wednesday, he missed Louisville's loss at Syracuse. And after that loss, Rick Pitino went in on him, said he didn't know if Chris would ever be back and that he might ought to just go ahead and go to Belgium. And then on Thursday, of course, Chris Jones was reinstated to the Louisville basketball team. On Saturday, he played in a win over Miami, scored 17 points. And then on Sunday afternoon, uh, he was dismissed uh, by uh, Rick Pitino for an unspecified violation of whatever. So it's a pretty wild six-day stretch, huh, Matt Norlander? Yeah. we. This is now the second straight podcast where we started with Chris Jones, uh, and we were joking to a certain degree on Friday after he had been reinstated after one game um, that all has had been calmed and was well. You know, you got to think – that uh, whatever he did, it was, you know, this this actually is similar to how Rashid Suleiman was dismissed from Duke earlier this season in that it came right after a game. Uh, we don't know what happened, but clearly the timing of it suggests um, that Chris Jones had just an absolute zero tolerance policy over his head. And whatever he did to violate that, um, Rick Pitino immediately... Uh, made the move, and I always say the shorter the press release, the worse it is, and Louisville's press release was 125 characters, essentially, so uh, (laughs) they did not comment on the matter. I think it definitely harms Louisville's chances going forward. They needed Jones to beat Miami at home, make no mistake about it, and you know Patino knows that they are a better team with him than without him on the court, but, you know, he's just screwed up too often to uh to get any more chances and so now we look at louisville and terry rogier montres harrell are their best players wayne blackshear needs to play better but this could very well end up being a season where the cardinals perhaps sputter to a six seed maybe a seven seed depending on how well they play without them or don't and then don't even uh don't even flirt with the second weekend of the tournament. Yeah, Sam, I want to get to you in a second about you know what this means for Louisville going forward. But I, I will say, after talking to a handful of people last night, um, this was very clearly the last straw. So, like, if you're looking for some you know gun charge that's going to come out later today, that that's not going to happen. Um, it, it 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 wasn't what happened. Again, this is just what I'm told. Isn't isn't something that independent of everything else would be cause for dismissal but it was basically like all right we're tired of dealing with this stuff it's one thing after another with you and 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 so like okay now you're back on the team you're gonna play but nothing else no whatever can cause drama in your life like keep stay away from it for the next month like if every time you go out because you're a hothead you end up in some sort of situation don't go out anymore if every time you're around this girl, there's some sort of drama because you're both young and silly, don't be around that girl anymore. Like whatever, like whatever's causing problems, stop it, uh, or else. And then, like 
I, I'm told Saturday night he was out and, uh, you know, it was nothing big, but like, what are you doing? You know, like, uh, we're not dealing with this. We just talked to you about this. And so uh, one person put it to me this way. Um, they gave him nine lives and, um, and they just, they, they made it very clear to him. He, he doesn't get a 10th and it, it almost went out, you know, in one ear and out the other. And so it's just, you know, disappointing for all the reasons we talked about on an earlier podcast. I mean, this is a kid who grew up in, in, in among the roughest parts of Memphis. He's from the, the Orange Mound community, which is, I mean, just Google it. It's a, it's a tough, tough place. And, and kids who were born into that community, they had the odds stacked against them, like, you know, from birth. They, you know, they are unlikely to make it out of there for a variety of reasons. And, you know, he made it out. He spent two years living on the beach, playing basketball, being a national junior college player of the year. He um, was the starting point guard at Louisville for two years. I mean, he was out. It wasn't like, man, I hope I can make it out. He made it out. And, and then he, you know, he couldn't, he couldn't hold on to it. And there's some deep rooted issues there, you know, anger stuff, temper stuff that, you know, at least reportedly now he's going to try to get addressed. But um, I, I just hate to see it. I like, I, I, you know, I'm not trying to tell you he's an angel. He's not an angel. But to, to know where he came from and to know that he he's one of the few who made it out. And now I, I don't know what his future is. Um, it's just it's sad on some level. I wish it would have. I wish this story would have had a different ending, but it doesn't like it's. Uh, yeah, and he's a, he's a senior, by the way. So there is. Well, no, that's the other thing. Yeah, like I, I had a bunch of. There's no transfer thing right. happening here where he ends up at a different school. And like I, he's done playing college basketball. And honestly, like at first, I had like a bunch of Memphis fans tweeting at me, like, "Can he come back home? Like he's done. Like he he played a, two years at JUCO last year, and then he's you know he's in the season February of his senior season. There is no eligibility left. And I wonder if this is going to be a little bit of a wake up call for him. And, and Sam, maybe you could speak to this. Because he has forever had issues, like forever had issues. Like, you know, uh, my buddy Keith Easterwood, who's a longtime AAU coach in Memphis, used to coach Chris when he was a kid. And like, you know, it was like a fist fight every other game. Like Chris Jones just fighting everybody. Like you take the ball from him, he wants to fight you. You say something to him, he's, he's going to hit you. Like he's got, he's that kind of kid, has always been. And so he's always had those issues. Then he had academic issues. Um, but my point is, he was the type of kid when he was 13 years old that you would you would you would just throw off the team and be done with except he was so damn good so you're like you're there because maybe you need him and then he had academic issues uh, to the extent of 99% of the kids from his community who have academic issues nobody cares their their parents don't even care for the most part and so like nobody's there to try to help you nobody Nobody cares. But there was always somebody there to try to help him because he might be able to, you know, help you win a basketball game. Mm -hmm. And so then, you know, he can't qualify out of high school. So, you know, again, most people wouldn't care about him, but he was talented. So Steve Forbes and Jason Shea and uh, Brooke Savage, like they all worked like crazy to make to help him get eligible to at least you know, uh, A, go, get to junior college, and then B, get out of junior college so he could go to Division One school. And for the first time in his life, I guess this is my point, um, he's not of great value to anybody. Like, mm -hmm. he can't help anybody anymore. Like, you know, maybe uh, uh, the, you know, some D-League team. But, like, he, for the first time in his life, he lacks real value on the basketball court. He's He's no, he no longer has college eligibility. He's no longer going to help you win a junior college title. He's no longer going to be the starting point guard for an ACC school. And I just, I'm, a, I'm afraid that he, 
he probably has never hasn't quite grasped that yet that his entire life when he's run into issues like this there's always been somebody to swoop in and try to save him because he benefited them theoretically he benefits nobody anymore really and that's um that could be a rude awakening sam what do you make of all this yeah i think that mostly you're right like it it just sucks generally and it it seems like he's kind of self-aware of like what his problems are at this point because he's I guess he's going to uh, seek out John Lucas right. and his anger management stuff, like that camp idea. What I don't know exactly what goes on there, but he's going to seek out help for his anger issues. Um, it, and I watched like a video that I believe Jeff Greer took from the uh, Courier Journal um, after their win over uh, Miami this weekend, and he, they asked, they were asking him like, you know, how, how much have you matured? And he was like, yeah, like he was totally self-aware of the fact that he had always been this kid that, you know, would you would have thrown off the team when you, he was 13 if he wasn't so good. And, like, he used to fight every game, he said. Like, and he said he's doing a lot better at keeping his emotions in check. You know, it's just the question is, can his game improve enough to where he can be of value to someone? And, you like, the skill is not in question. Chris Jones could play professionally somewhere. Like, if he really, really wanted to get his anger in check and if he can get his anger in check, he will find a place to play. There's not... There's not any issue there. Like, be it in Europe, be it in the D-League, there are a few players who can combine his defensive skill, the ability to pressure the ball like crazy, and his ability to get into the teeth of the defense and create something. It's more just harnessing that, not overusing and overutilizing his skills and doing too much on the floor necessarily, because that was his problem this year. That's why he was the butt of all of the ridicule early in the year. He was taking like 15 shots a game and none of them were efficient shots. So if he can improve his basketball intelligence and try and, you know, kind of figure out a way to be more efficient on the floor, he can, he has incredible skill to harness and he will play professionally somewhere. It's just, he needs to get that under control. And I really hope he does because like you said, like I I don't want him to go back to, you know, Memphis where, apparently very few kids well, like make that out of. yeah well like i don't want to overstate it but like he's he's he is the stereotypical memphis kid like he's mm-hmm. he's the kid that could have been an extra in hustle and flow you know what i'm saying like he's yeah he, that's that's his life and he's not the guy he's not wired to come back to memphis and not be a part of that he's yeah. like even when he would come back here during the summers like I was always told, like yeah, Chris Jones was hooping over an orange man, like 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 there, there's like when the other guys come back to Memphis, like they hoop at the Finch Center, you know, it's a very structured, mm-hmm. you know, safe, normal like basketball playing environment. But he doesn't, he that's not where he wanted to be. He wanted yeah. to be back in his old neighborhood, and so inevitably, but like you have to understand, just because he's Chris Jones, like starting point guard at Louisville doesn't mean he ain't Chris Jones from Orange Mound. And so he's like, yeah. he's a, he'd be an Orange Mound. And like, I would hear all these stories about, um, you know, like, yeah, Chris was talking crazy and like, the, you know, there's almost a fight. And the thing about, you know, that community, and again, I'm not trying to paint with a broad brush or overstate it. I'm just speaking, like, Google it if you don't believe me. But like in that community, um, you know, like a, an argument turns into like a, a, you know, gunfire pretty quickly. And like... You know, senseless, stupid, you know, tough guy stuff turns into like one person's dead and another person's doing life in prison. And uh, it, it, it's frightening on some level that like he could, be, you know, he could very easily be in, in one of those uh, situations where, you know, he ain't the type to try to 
necessarily move away and just leave it behind. Like he, he, mm -hmm. he's, he's a part of those streets. And so, um, it's just, I, you know, I'm, I, it, there's some scary options that are now on the table yeah. and, and you just hope that, you know, one way or another, um, he, he figures it out. And like, honestly, he was in such a good situation with Louisville and Rick because like Rick is a pretty tolerant coach, as we all know. And then if you just walk the line the way you need to, like, then you've got Rick Patino in your corner for the rest of your life. That ain't like Rick Patino's the dude who can just like pick up a phone call and get you a job, you know, like he's a pretty yeah. powerful guy. And to blow all of that, it's just, uh, it just makes me sick. But um, yeah, you know, it really sucks. Yeah, it just, it just sucks. I hope, I hope it works out. I'm, I'm, I'm not as optimistic as I'd like to be, but I, I hope. Like it seriously, all... Belgium would be a pretty good option for him. Anywhere except like, here. Anywhere except here. That's my yeah. point. Like, you know, when you grow up in a community where, and and I'm I'm not pinning all of his anger issues on this because I don't, you know, I don't think you could because there are plenty of people who come out of Orange Mountain who are like perfectly like. Uh, you know, reasonable uh, uh, contributors to society. Again, I don't want to paint with a broad brush, but when you grow up in a community where sometimes, um, you know, not being a bitch is more valued than like anything, um, it can really cause a lot of issues because on one hand, it, it's a Hall of Fame coach trying to, to, to get you to be the right type of player and the right type of person. On the other hand, it could be easily perceived as, I'm not going to let this man tell me what to do. You know what I'm saying? And, yeah. and, and that trickles down to everything. And that, that's how these senseless, um, you know, like uh, playground moments that I've heard were very close to escalating at, at certain points over the past, you know, four years of him coming back home every once in a while. It's like, you know, nobody's going to let Chris Jones go at them. And then Chris Jones ain't going to let anybody go back at him. And the next thing you know, like, we're ready to throw hands. And like, yo, you're an ACC point guard. Why are you, why are you almost fighting at a playground in Orange Mound, like, in the summer? Like, what are you doing? And um, and so I just, yeah, you know, again, it, it's um, it's unfortunate. I, I don't. I, I think we've said everything you could possibly say about it. It's just an unfortunate situation. And I hope uh, that, that John Lucas is able to get through to him on some level and, and they're able to address all of these mm -hmm. issues and, and we look up in five years and, and uh, you know, he's, he's making a, a good salary playing basketball uh, somewhere. Let's move on. Tom Izzo is at it again. Four straight wins. Um, Michigan State's now 19-8 and eight overall, 10-4 and four in the Big Ten. Uh, they now have three top 50 RPI wins, just two losses outside of the top 50, although one of them is to Texas Southern. Uh, either way, the resume is almost like top 25 good. It's definitely at-large good. Norlander, should we feel a little silly for even questioning Tom Izzo? A little? Uh, um, maybe a little bit. They're going to be an interesting seed, uh, seeded team. You know, they've got two roadies left that they can lose. They play at Wisconsin this weekend, and then they finish their season at Indiana. I think they'll drop both of those. I don't expect them to win the Big Ten tournament. Um, so the Texas Southern one, which was a home loss, to me that's still worth an entire seed line, if not two. Um, so they'll be – I think Michigan State might end up being – a a trendy um, Sweet 16 type of team given their seed overall. I mean, I would expect them. They're 19 and eight. Yes, they've had a, a nice little win streak here, and most importantly, it has come with three and four on the road. Um, and you know, the Michigan win. You know, Michigan is down, but then again, you know, they they took out Sam's uh, Buckeyes on Sunday, which Woo! was kind of surprising how that came together. Sam, what uh, happened there? I'm that not game was surprised. That game 
Dude, I I like I tweeted out the online link uh, to be a good team player for CBSSports.com. Mm-hmm. Went downstairs to check on like uh, you know just everybody who lives in my house and make sure they're okay. Came back upstairs and it's like forty-seven to one. Yeah, yeah, no, the game was pretty, over from the very beginning. Yeah, it's pretty typical for Ohio State this year. They've really, really struggled to open games. Look at I want to say both the Iowa games, uh, the Louisville game, the North Carolina game on the road or in like a neutral, uh, neutral environment. They're awful to start games. I don't know what it is. Like they've they've tried to put Jay Sean Tate in the starting lineup instead of Mark Loving. Um, that like even before Loving was suspended, they tried to do that to like insert energy. Like they're they just open games really, really poorly and get way behind the eight ball and they struggle from there. So well, in regard, they need to fix that. Yeah. <laughs> and it was, it was a bad showing. Um, Ohio state's resume is, is definitely filled with holes. Um, but the big 10 had a lot of interesting action this week. I mean, Michigan state uh, and Maryland and Purdue are all tied for second Illinois, who I've never thought was going to make the tournament. You know, they can still do it, but losing, uh, two in a row and dropping the home game to Michigan State on Sunday, I think was something of a death knell there because I, I just don't think they're going to get enough good wins the rest of the way to qualify for the tournament. So in my opinion, Illinois probably pushed themselves out. Ohio State's dropped two straight. They are road games. They should be able to rebound here, I know, at home. Uh, but their their schedule away from home has not been good. So I think we actually might have a situation where Ohio State's seeded even worse than Michigan State. I mean, they're certainly on pace to do that. But I don't know. I, I might. It, it's going to be very much a matchup situation with the Buckeyes in terms of who they get in the bracket because I could see them getting a seven um, and very well being capable of knocking out a two if it was the right two seed in that particular bracket. So they, if they don't really do damage in the Big Ten tournament, um, they could very well be looking at a seed where people might expect them to be a four or five or they get a seven type of, uh, of slot. But with back to Michigan State for a minute, I mean they are. I mean they're they're like I, I only go to twenty six in the top twenty five and one obviously. So I got VCU at twenty six now, and I think I would have San Diego State at twenty seven. Like that was sort of next. To, but like, I don't think you could get Michigan State out of the top thirty. Like I was looking at you know all the sort of border, yeah. yeah. I mean I I think mm-hmm. they've turned into and and keep in mind that's you know they. Um, top thirty isn't necessarily good when you were preseason top twenty, but top thirty given that. You know, they lost to Texas Southern earlier in the year. Like Tom's got it turned around a little bit, and they've uh, they're playing better right now. And when you look at the schedule, you know, I, I think even if they just finish two and two in the Final Four, like they're probably fine. That means a win over Minnesota on yeah. Thursday, uh, lose at Wisconsin, whatever. Everybody's doing that. Um, then I'd beat Purdue at home. I wouldn't want to take a home loss to Purdue, so knock that one out, and then go lose at Indiana. And then at that point, I think you finish. 21 and 10 overall, 12 and 6 in the Big Ten heading into the Big Ten tournament. I think that's probably good enough almost regardless of what happens in the Big Ten tournament. Sam, do you see it that way? Yeah, no, I totally agree. That's basically what I wrote in Night Court last night. Right. Um, I think that they're fine as long as they don't like hemorrhage these games at the end. And I think there's a distinct possibility they do because getting Purdue at home right now with the way Purdue is playing is going to be a tough game. Like um, they're. AJ Hammonds has been terrific this year. Um, you know, Vince Edwards is really, really good. They're they're playing probably better than anyone in the Big Ten outside of Wisconsin right now, period. So I think that they could lose that game. But if they can, you know, win it in the Breslin Center like they should, then I think they'll be fine. Even going into the Big Ten tournament, they could drop their first game and I think they'll be fine. 
And Purdue, so, yeah. yeah, and Purdue projects basically the same way. I mean, they're sitting here at 18 and nine overall, 10 and four in the Big Ten. Uh, four games left, two on the road, two at home. Win the home games, lose the road games. You still yep. finish 20 and 11, 12 and six. That's good enough, right? Probably, yeah. although they have a weird. Yeah, their resume's bad in the early. They've start. got a very weird resume. So, in my opinion, if you're Purdue, win two in the Big Ten tournament, and you're safe. Um, obviously, no one team is in a vacuum. It depends on sure. stuff around you. Mm-hmm. But yeah, they got a. They have a freaky resume. The Big Ten in general, um, just the, the teams they have, the seating they're going to get. I think it's going to be wonky compared to most ever other leagues, and especially in typical years here. Um, but Purdue is. Well, like, for example, right now, Purdue is 49 in Ken Palm, um, and I would put their standing right now better in terms of a prospectus than Texas, which is 21st, yeah. but Texas is just falling off a cliff here. I mean, they've dropped their past two. They had a four-game losing streak earlier this season. They have their next two at West Virginia and at Kansas, you know, they fell at home to Iowa State. It wasn't a great loss in terms of how they looked. So we could have a situation here where the Longhorns, who, you know, I said, you know, going into that Kentucky game, I thought they had a decent chance back in December of, of keeping it interesting and maybe beating Kentucky. And I liked them as sort of a Final Four dark horse. I actually, I mean, as of right now, I'll say Texas does not make the tournament. I think they're going to be a one seed in the NIT. Mm, I, I- I, I can't argue against it right now. I mean, their resume their resume still isn't as bad as some people try to make it out to be. They're lacking wins, but they, yeah. they don't have all these crazy bad losses. You know, they don't. I know, I know but uh, I like they're going to be seventeen and twelve. I don't think they're going to win their next two. So they're going to be six and ten in the league. That's tough. They get Baylor at home, which they have to win. They finish with K State. They should win that. But like, if you go. Two and out in the Big Twelve tournament, maybe it's enough. I don't know. I just I suddenly have a bad feeling with uh, with Texas, and I'm not Texas. I wrote this in Night Court over the weekend, but Texas and UCLA, which dropped two straight, they had two road games. They lost the Arizona schools. Now UCLA gets three straight homers. Uh, they play Washington Wednesday. I know Sam will be at that game. Then they get Washington State and USC. If you're UCLA, you can't afford to lose any of those games. Um, and they're, you know, UCLA right now is a top 50 Ken Palm team. I'm not sure where they are in the RPI, but, uh, but regardless, I think those are the two, you know, kind of bigger programs that at one point looked decently like they'd get into the tournament, Texas more than UCLA that are certainly wobbly at this point. Uh, back to Texas for a second, to, to my point, they, their worst losses to Stanford. Um, they, nine of their 10 losses are to teams that are currently ranked in the Associated Press top 25. Now, they lack wins. They've only got one top 25 win. That's a home win over West Virginia. Their next best wins, probably Iowa, Connecticut, California. So they only have one top 50 win, four top 100 wins, um, but they have no bad losses, although they are trending the wrong way. So I don't think they're... Like their 17 and 10 record isn't as bad as it might seem because like it ain't like they're taking a bunch of weird losses. They're taking... Uh, the, the, almost all their losses are to teams that, if not all their losses, are to teams that are going to be in the NCAA tournament. But at some point, you got we know this, you got to beat somebody. And and it's February 23rd, and they really haven't beaten, uh, they've almost beaten nobody all year long. So uh, I'm not out. And then combine that fact with the fact that it seems like they're uh, trending the wrong direction. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah. here's the thing with Texas. What makes them different from 
NC State. I think NC State might have a better resume than they do at this point. I mean, you can at least point to wins over Duke and Louisville for NC State that are like legitimate marquee wins. And yeah, like NC State lost that game to Wofford. And I want to say they dropped one to Clemson. But at the same time, like, I think I would trust NC State to go out and beat a tougher team more than I would trust Texas right now. Yeah, the the difference would be they got better wins, clearly. They got a Duke win, a Louisville yeah. win, a Pitt win, a Boise State win. That's four top four, 50 wins. They have one, two, three, four, five losses outside of the top 50, though. Uh, one outside of the top 125. That's the Wake Forest loss. So um, it just depends oh, yeah. on what, on the Wake Forest. Too. Yeah, it just depends on what you value. You know, do you value wins or do you value, you know, no bad losses? So, you know, that and that, yeah. that can be interpreted a lot of different ways. Either way, um, at least specifically to Texas, uh, you know, disappointing. I mean, the preseason top 10 team, people thought that they were, and the yeah. roster is good enough. The roster is better than what, you know, than what Rick Barnes has been able to do with it. That seems undeniable. Back to Purdue for a second. Um, I, I, I find this whole situation interesting because the truth is, I, I think these are all. I think everything I'm about to say is true. Correct me if any of this is wrong. Matt Painter is like a good basketball coach. Does anybody in basketball really disagree with that? Right. No, he is. Okay. Okay. So like Matt Painter's good, and he's a Purdue guy, and I, I don't think if you made a move, you were ever going to be able to hire somebody better than Matt Painter. You might hire somebody who you know does good things, just as likely or more likely. You hire somebody who you know runs it into the ground, but whatever. Um, and yet, if this season would have gone poorly, which is the way it was kind of projected to go, um, they might have made a move on him because he made the tournament in 2012, uh, but then losing record in 2013, losing record last year, and if this one would have gone the wrong way, um, probably, uh, you know, that's three straight NCAA tournament misses, and y- you just wonder if they would have been anxious to make a move, just change for the sake of change. And so it's sort of interesting to watch this go because now all of that seems moved. But I'm always fascinated by these situations where the fan base gets um, antsy with a coach when it's it when it is record wise not going the way you want it to go and not probably not going the way it should go. But you you also in the back of your mind know we probably can't hire a better coach than the one we already got. Like should we just hang in there and see if he can you know. Give him four years, five years to turn it around. Because, like, if we make a move now, like, are we really going to be able to hire somebody better than the guy we got to pay millions of dollars to go away? And I think that very, I think that's sometimes been the case at Ole Miss with Andy Kennedy. Um, like, the fans get frustrated, and I'm like, who are you going to hire better than Andy Kennedy? Like, I, th- like this is a, in the past three years, I, I saw somebody tweet this over the weekend. In terms of SEC wins, it's one John Calipari, two Billy Donovan, and three Andy yep. Kennedy. Right. So mm-hmm. like, but then Ole Miss fans are like, we should be going to the tournament more. And I'm like, really? Like, what makes you think? You hey, be- they're they are, by the way. Oh, they're going to be fine. They're they're probably going to make it. Yeah. I mean, if, they, I think if so. they don't totally fall on their face, they've got some bad losses. They need to still I know, I know we're kind of like hitting different directions right. here. But if they can just like play 500 the rest of the way, that's going to get them to about 23 wins, including SEC tournament play. I think they'll make it. Yeah, I, I guess. I guess my point is, uh, let's uh, let's just focus strictly on Painter. Uh, do I have this pick right? <laughs> like, how do you, Sam? How do you view the idea of, hey, this is Purdue basketball, and you shouldn't be going sixteen and eighteen in one year, fifteen and seventeen the next, and then have another bad year? Then we got to make a change. With uh, how do you balance that very reasonable opinion 
with, hey, but you can't get better than Matt Painter. And, and, and like, I know it's not going well, but don't you trust Matt Painter to get it back on track more than you trust whoever it is you could possibly hire? Like, how do you balance those things? So, yeah, like, I think it's really, really, really difficult to do that, considering he made the tournament six years in a row. I know. That's my thing. You can't find like, somebody better than Matt Painter, but it hasn't been going well. I, again, I, yeah, this I actually season, think they uh, might. I actually think they might be able to find someone better than Matt Painter, but I think it's going to be a highly variable thing where maybe you do find someone better than Matt Painter. And there's always that like five, 10% chance that that guy is going to be this excellent basketball coach. Like if, like if you could go out and hire someone like Greg Marshall, you know what I mean? Well, like, you can't I don't hire know Greg Marshall. Would, yeah. I was going to say, I don't think he would take the Purdue job, no, but I can tell go you he out, wouldn't. Like, yeah, if you can go out and hire someone like of that caliber, and that guy maybe ends up being better than Matt Painter. But Matt Painter's been really good. I know. He's been for your program. Like, he, he's a Purdue guy. I don't know what more you could want. And I think it's a really interesting discussion, especially in the context of, I remember earlier this year we were talking about, um, you know, sometimes coaches, if they're there for eight years, that's kind of the turnover if you're not sure. winning. So. This is about Painter. I want to say it's his eighth, ninth year, maybe. This is tenth, and it's his tenth. Yeah, tenth year. So, I, I wonder how he fits into all of that because maybe Purdue is stagnating a little bit, but like you said, like like we both said, like he's better for this job than anyone could be. Right, and so again, so I think this. Se- yeah, I think this season, the way it's going, just to make sure we're being clear here. All of this becomes a moot point. Like he's going to yeah. make the NCAA oh, tournament and everything's cool. But I, I was just sort of interested in the in the hypothetical of if he didn't make it again this year for the third straight year, what do you do? Because on one hand, you could just you know bottom line it very simply. Hey, programs in the going the wrong direction. Missed the tournament three straight years. We don't allow that at Purdue. Time to make a change. On the other hand, you go. You got a Purdue guy who people in the industry respect and who has gone to six straight NCAA tournaments before, uh, should you be more patient than you otherwise would be, uh, knowing that you've got a quality basketball coach, as opposed to trying to roll the firing one of your own and trying to roll the dice to maybe hire somebody who could hopefully have, like, could Purdue's next head coach, whoever it is, go to six tournaments in 10 years? Like, you know, like, we'll see, right? But uh, I'm just sort of always fascinated by that sort of uh, conversation. Like, what, Like, what do you do? Honestly, I feel like Purdue is not an easy job either. No, it's like not an you easy have job. Indiana right in the back, right in the backyard. I mean, there are all these Big Ten schools that are bigger than you right there, and it's tough to get good players there. And Matt Painter's done it. He had that great recruiting class with Robbie Hummel and Jawan Johnson. Each one more. He had he brought AJ Hammonds in, who was a terrific recruit. He has a lot of really good freshmen and sophomores right now that are contributing and should be able to lead them back to the NCAA tournament next year. Oh, so, I, I, no, to your point about the job, like, I, I always think this is interesting. Yeah, okay. How good is the Purdue job? Well, it's Purdue basketball and Gene Katie and big dog. Okay. Okay. No, no, no. no. Let, let's talk about it right now. Yeah. In the big 10, Wisconsin better. Yeah. Michigan state better job. Yeah, we're talking, we're talking job, not program. Yeah. It's job. It's no, yeah no, it's, if, yeah. if you laid all these jobs on the table and told a guy, a told a forty-year-old head coach, you can take any of them you want, and it's equal money. I would. And yes. the money's all the same. Yes. Wisconsin's okay. a better job. Yes. Michigan State's a better job. Yes. Maryland's yeah. a better job. Yes. Indiana's yeah. a better job. Yes. Ohio State's a better job. Yes. Michigan's a better job. Yes. Yep. Illinois's a better job. 
think no. That's no? where we're getting oh, gray. I think clearly. But well, with the way that Chicago basketball has developed yeah. recently, I think that it might yeah, be. Yeah, but Illinois, I, mean, in that I, I understand what you're saying, but I at would least say Illinois, you don't have to play second fiddle in your own state or third fiddle in your own state or anything like that. Yeah, but yeah, I, I understand that. But Illinois is also not by any means through multiple coaches been able to hook up through the Chicago connection. So I understand what you're saying. I would say that's where the, that's where Purdue and Illinois are like right there. Um, but I would Okay, that's fine. That's fine. Uh, Minnesota. So. What about Minnesota? No, I it's, don't think so. Okay, yeah. fine then. Okay, here, here's what we know for sure: Wisconsin, Michigan State, Maryland, Indiana, Ohio State, Michigan. At yeah. best, at, at best, best at best, it's seventh in the Big Ten. At best, it's a middle of the pack Big Ten program or Big Ten job. So, like, you know, could, who could you really what about, hire? What about Iowa too? Oh, well, that's the other thing. Iowa. Like, I think you could argue Purdue, Iowa, Illinois, Minnesota. And Nebraska probably with all of their – they just built, like, so many yeah. great little thing, great, like, uh, amenities yeah, around but, them. Yeah. But it's, they're going to get recruits there. I mean, it's not just, like, Tim Miles that's going to get recruits there. That that entire area, like, everything they've built up, they're going to get recruits there. Right. That's a pretty equal job, I think. Yeah, so, like, anyway, my point said, you know, Purdue is a middle – it's probably a middle-of-the-pack Big Ten job. So, like, the idea that you can go out and hire whoever you think you can hire, probably not true. You're probably hiring a mid-major coach or an assistant – and yeah. either way, I'm glad that we don't have to discuss this in March because, again, uh, it looks like Matt Painter's got to uh, take this thing back in the NCAA tournament and everything's cool. I was just sort of always fascinated by the the hypothetical of what do you do if you're Purdue or what should you do if you're Purdue. Let's switch gears. Cal Wilcher. Um, why why is he not in the National Player of the Year conversation? Should he be? Uh, He's averaging 17.6 rebounds, two assists. For a team that will probably be a one seed in the NCAA tournament, shooting 54% from the field, 47% from three, 81% from the free throw line, did a 45-point game last Thursday night. Why like, doesn't he check most of the boxes that Kaminsky and Okafor check in terms of being um, a really good statistical player on a nationally relevant team? Right, I think, and Sam can take some of this too, but uh, my answers to that would be um, there was an expectation that it would be Pangos, not Wilcher, and so we're slow to react to it. I would think you have to put Wilcher in a top 10, uh, closer to, you know, near the top five, and he is, you know, he's been superb, man. I mean, there was... certainly uh, an aspect to this where he was expected to contribute in ways... Similar but not equal to Kelly Olynyk from two years ago on that one seed to Gonzaga team. He has not been what Olynyk was, but he's been really good overall. And yes, he is uh, he is worthy of being top ten player of the year consideration at this point. And yes, Gonzaga is going to be a one seed because they came back from seventeen down Woo. at St. Mary's when everyone my mentions were already starting to flare up. Okay, about Gonzaga losing, people are so eager. To watch this team lose, it's Wichita State all over again. Yep. But they get the win. They're not going to lose again. They're going to be one seed. Wilcher's top ten player of the year consideration. I think he's top five, and I would put him first team All American right now. What's wrong with this All American team? Jaron Grant, D'Angelo Russell, Wilcher, Kaminsky, Okafor. Is that fine, Sam? Um, I would go Delon Wright over yeah, Wilcher, but I think that no, Wilcher is second team. Why not Delon Wright over D'Angelo Russell? Um, because I am a homer. I, I know. I know. <laughs> I know. No, I, I would go. I'd go Russell over uh, Wright and Wilcher, just because he's 
he's like appointment viewing now in a way. Like you have to watch him to kind of appreciate him. And yeah, the statistics are great. And he's carrying that team to a tournament bid that has no, no business being near a tournament bid, I think. Um, so, you know, I would probably slide Russell over Wilcher because I think that he is just generally, uh, you know, better, better offensive player than Kyle Wilcher. He's a better. What? I just I think gave you the is. number. I don't think he's a better. I don't think he's a better shooter, but no, I think he's a better no, offensive no. player. No, I hear better, what you're saying. I agree. He's a better point guard. I mean, he gets everyone involved. He's a better point guard than Kyle Wilcher. Well, he's a terrific passer. I mean, he, <laughs> yeah, obviously, of course he's, he's a better, better point, point guard, guard than Kyle, than Kyle, Wilcher. Than Kyle Wilcher. He's a yeah. point guard. Hey, yeah, hey, Kyle right. Wilcher's a better small forward than D'Angelo Russell. I don't know if that's true. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> no, I'm just. I just. I, we've we've talked about. And, you know, and I don't mean just us. Everybody's talked about Okafor, obviously. Kaminsky, obviously. Russell has entered that conversation. Jaron Grant's been a part of that conversation. Yeah. Wilcher's never really been. And when you when you sort of take a look at what he's doing and the, the and the team that he's doing it for, I think he's got player of the year stuff. I don't think he'll get there because I think ultimately yeah. it's going to be an Okafor-Kaminsky conversation. But um, – he can reasonably play, be placed in that conversation. That's all. That was my only point. Yeah, no, I agree. He's in that like same area that like Delon Wright, uh, Willie Cauley Stein, and I guess he are in that like they're probably a step below the top four in my opinion. But they're they're right there. I mean, they're they're probably going to be in the battle for first team All American. Um, they'll definitely be second team All Americans. Um, and th- that's just a terrific accomplishment for Wilcher, who you know could be a member of this Kentucky team right now. That is uh, twenty-seven and zero, and not looking like it's going to slow down anytime soon. I sort of so, like, yeah. No, go ahead. It, I mean, it worked out great for everyone involved. Like he, I talked to him earlier this year. I wrote about him, and he's, he's. I don't think he would have improved his game the way he has at Gonzaga at Kentucky because they they really focused in on improving his body, improving his post work, improving just improving his play in general in a way that I don't know that Kentucky would have because there wouldn't have been as much of a focus on him. I sort of so, like, yeah. No, I sort of like the idea that um you know in this year where the the best team in college basketball is is consist of a bunch of dudes who who bought in and sacrificed, you know, individual numbers and playing time to try to to do something great. Um there's this other team on the other side of the country that's also probably going to be a one seed led by a guy who said, you know what, that's fine, but th- that ain't really for me. You know, like I, I'd rather I'd rather play 35 minutes a game and I'd rather get shots and I'd rather uh, be more of a focal point than um, one of 10 dudes. And I don't know if he made that th- this decision with all of those things in mind, but I do think it's interesting that that arguably two of the top you know, three or four or five teams in America, um, you know, one consists of all these dudes who, who bought in and sacrificed all these things. And another one's led by a guy who was a part of that, but then decided he, he didn't want to be a part of that in that way. At least on some level, he decided that. And like you said, it's worked out brilliantly for everybody. Like, I don't think Kentucky fans are, I, I think they seem to be Cal Wilcher fans. Like they understand why he left and, you know, it's worked out for Wilcher. It's worked out for Kentucky. I just think that's sort of a neat little connected yeah. to dot story. Yeah, no, I agree. I don't think I've heard anyone like any Kentucky person complain about Wilcher. He says all like he's totally supportive of Kentucky. I know for a fact, like whenever Alex Poitras injured his knee, like he sent a note over to Poitras. He sent like a bunch of like uh, social media messages over. They all they're all like still kind of close, I guess, that recruiting class. So, yeah, I, I think that it's 
it's just a really, really good situation. It's a really good story. Um, and I don't think it could have worked out better for either party. Um, I'll tell you when it uh, might turn on him a little bit when he's a first team all American and no Kentucky players are, and the Kentucky fans point out over and over again, how their ninth best player, how is their ninth best, ninth best player, a first team all American. In- That's probably going to happen <laughs> at some point. But yes, so, uh, let's, let's go on the good part of this boat right now. Let's, let's just keep, right. let's keep pulling. <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. Last thing before we get out of here, Matt, I want to ask you about this. So Kansas is at Kansas state tonight. Um, they're 11 and three in the league. Uh, they got a one game lead over Iowa state. Um, tell me if I've got this right. The Jayhawks never lose at home. Um, or at least they rarely lose at home. I think they, I don't think they've lost a big 12 home game in more than two years on the calendar. So if they win tonight at Kansas, uh, state, they're then 12 and three in the big 12. They only have one road game left. And even if they were to lose that road game, I think it's at Oklahoma, uh, long as they win their home games, which I've already established, they always do. Um, they're going to finish no worse than 14 and four in the league, which will be good enough for a share of the big 12 title, even if Iowa state wins out. So I guess what I'm asking, um, Kansas, they can basically secure an 11th straight big 12 title tonight. Right. Is that guy, I got this picked correctly, right? Yeah, that's going to happen. Um, cause they're going to win. Uh, we're going with the Monday Norlander prediction special here. Um, that was my pick before you do this. That was my pick of the night in the viewers guide. <laughs> All right. Well, yes. Um, yeah, they're going to do it. Uh, they're going to lock it up. Um, and then we're going to eventually hit a conversation where if they are able to win the Big 12 tournament, you're going to have Kansas having won the Big 12 by far the best league, you know, by every statistical measure, basically. Um, and if they win the Big 12 tournament, then you're going to have people ask them why they shouldn't be a one seed. That'll be a legit conversation if they don't lose again, but I think they're going to lose again. Um, but yes, they're going to lock it up. And in my opinion, that's a decent game. But the most interesting game of the night, GP, is Xavier St. John's only because St. John's beat Xavier. St. John's is another team with a weird profile. But if they win tonight uh, and St. John's does have that game at home, they'll have swept Xavier. And I don't know if both teams are going to make the tournament. And if that's the case, St. John's is going to have a, a trump card over X in that regard. So um, it's one they need to win because St. John's still has a road game against Nova left. So... I expect Kansas to win, lock up the Big 12. Yet again, uh, Bill Self is ridiculous. But really keep an eye on Xavier St. John's just because if they split, uh, we'd love to see them play again in the Big East tournament. All right, let's get out of here. Remember, you can subscribe to the Island College Basketball Podcast over at iTunes. Quickest way to get your hands on the latest uh, edition. So make sure you go uh, do that. And either way, I will talk to you again on Wednesday. Take care.